It's like six pounds. It's a joke. Hey there. I um, used to whitewater canoe, which is harder than you think. Like whitewater kayaking, if you flip over, theoretically you're not a flip, you can come back around the other side. You can't do that with a canoe. It doesn't flip. You know, if, you, if it tips, it just lays there in the water. And uh, it also doesn't maneuver real well. And, you know, canoes are sort of inflexible. And I used to do it with a friend of mine. And we'd do it for three, four, six, eight days. And, and so what we would do is we'd put all sorts of stuff, you know, in our canoe. And then we'd, we'd go out for a while. And, you know, if we got to a... We'd go through lakes and then we'd get to white water and we'd get out and we'd scout it and we'd do it. And then, uh, you know, go on. And we hit one stage one day where it was, uh, it was pretty challenging. And what happened was there was a, it was a, a waterfall, small waterfall. I mean, it wasn't like 30 feet, you know, but it was, you know, about probably four feet, which is significant enough. And then it had this little, what's called a squirrel's tail right in the middle, which it means it's, there's a rock underneath because it's hitting something going like, like that. And so we stared at it. We pulled the canoe out and we stared at that thing and we thought, okay, there's a rock there, but we don't know how far under the rock is and, and uh, it would really be fun to do that um, waterfall. And we, we were pretty sure we could do the waterfall. We weren't sure how the rock was going to work out with that. And so, really, we camped there, and we sat on a rock, and we, like, stared at it the whole night. We ate dinner out there, and we were trying to figure it out. And, and the next morning, we decided, let's, let's do it, because it would really be fun if it worked. And we were not stupid. We only appeared to be. We were not stupid, so we took all of our gear out, and we portaged it up, you know, until it was another pull-out point, and... Then we got our canoe and we whipped through the rapids and we got there and right in the middle of it and we went, ah, we flipped over because the rock was really close. And as soon as we went over the waterfall, we hit the rock and it flipped the canoe and, and off we went. And off our paddles went and it wasn't the best decision I've ever made because it took us a while. The paddles, we couldn't find them and then obviously we were soaking wet and we had to get the water out of the canoe and repack. But it was sort of worth the, uh, it was worth the effort to try it. And had there not been for that, you know, one obstacle right there in the middle, it, 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 it would have been fine. And there were other times where we, we, would, we would go down sets of rapids and there would just be things that were, that were just too big. And, you know, we, we just couldn't do them. They were obstacles too great for us to, to run that rapids. And so we'd, we'd go out around it. Um, it, it. You know, those, when we flipped over, we hit the obstacle and we were able to keep going. No big deal. You know, it, we, again, we had to dry out and we had to find the paddles and things like that, but it was not that, that big a deal. Jesus is going to point out today an obstacle that a young man is going to have a great difficulty barreling through. And the obstacle, as it faces him, will either make a decision whether or not he goes forward at all whether he's absolutely stopped cold in the pursuit of something he says he wants desperately. The thing I would like you to think about as we go through this and as we come it back around at the end to us is every one of us has got some obstacles. The difference between our obstacles to growth and what was in the water before us is we usually make our own obstacles. Our obstacles to 
actually growing and becoming the people we want to be are handcrafted. We make them, we place them, and then we're desperately afraid of moving them out of the way. And so we're going to walk through a passage today, look at one man's obstacle to spiritual growth, And, you know, seriously, when I say to spiritual growth, it's like blah, blah, blah. One man's obstacle to spiritual growth. I mean, what do I mean? Well, he's actually going to use a phrase which is interesting, but when I say spiritual growth, I mean your obstacles. One man's obstacle to the life he actually wants. To the life where his soul, his heart, his mind, his body are in sync and come alive. Where he discovers peace and fulfillment significance and satisfaction, the path of a holistic, healthy, fulfilled life. That's what I mean. And what I am willing to say without qualification or equivocation is that every one of us in the room has some handmade obstacles to us experiencing the life we actually want. And the question I'd like us to explore at the end are, is are we willing to move that obstacle or not? Alrighty, so we're going to look at passage here. There's not a lot of background to look at this passage. I mean, we don't get a lot of context to it. It's a passage, if you've read the Bible or the New Testament, you may know it. It's called the rich young ruler. And it doesn't say the rich young ruler in the passage. There's some allusions to things like that. But because we like to define and categorize and things like that, our Bibles are normally we add chapter divisions and then we add little sections. And this section is the rich young ruler section. The thing that will be interesting about it is that there's often in the Gospels there are a story is told by multiple of the Gospel writers. There's four Gospel accounts, four stories of the life of Jesus, and sometimes a story is told by one or two or three or or four of them, and and that's not surprising I think in that that there are times when the story is particularly important or it really strikes the accord in, in two of the or three or four of the four, and so they want to put it in their account because they were not like looking at each other's account. They were simply telling the story of this, this time of, of Jesus. And this account is, is told by two different writers. Luke, which is the one we've been walking through the entire time, so that will be our primary passage. And then Mark, written by a guy named, named Mark. And I'm going to flip back a little bit to the, the gospel account in Mark because he gives us some nuance that's really important, some background about this guy and about Jesus' response to him. So... We're going to head on in, launch into Luke chapter 18. And this is what happens. A certain ruler, you know, somebody with some power, a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And really, I look at this one, I go like, oh, it's just a salutation. How are you doing? What do you mean, how am I doing? How's it going? Going where? It's sort of like, it's just, it's just a salutation. He's trying to be respectful, you know? He's saying, good teacher. He's trying to be respectful. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know, I don't know. I think Jesus does it. I don't think he's just trying to be difficult. I think he does it because he really like doesn't like the fake. He doesn't like the artificial. And he senses this guy when he comes up to him, he doesn't have a clue who Jesus is. 
He's not walked through his life. He doesn't know he's the son of God. He's just walking up to him and thinks he's a pretty sharp rabbi. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't like the, the fake and the artificial. And so when he says, good teacher, he goes, don't, don't, just, don't just bandy about phrases. Don't just, don't just say things because they sound better. Now, what I want you to see is in Mark, this is what happens. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a little nuance when he, when he comes up to him. And so I'm going to read it again. As Jesus started this way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. I see, that's important. Because if you just read Luke, you could probably hypothesize. You get ruler, you get wealthy, you think pompous, you know what? And you get the guy coming up going, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Not what happened. Somebody with wealth and power throws himself on the ground before an itinerant preacher and in the dust from his knees says, good teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? How do I find a life of fulfillment, of, of satisfaction, of significance? The, the things that I'm doing, the ways I'm living are not doing it. Teacher, can you help me to figure out something? Because there's a, a hole in my life. It's not working. And Jesus, I think just to explore this with him a little bit, looks at him and I imagine Jesus if he had glasses which he didn't sort of going you know the commandments right and then he walks through the commandments you know the commandments don't murder don't commit adultery don't steal don't give false testimony don't defraud honor your father and mother you know those right and the man looks at him and says teacher I have kept all of these since a boy. Jesus doesn't do what he could do, which is to say, really? <laughs> Kept all of those since a boy? I'd like you to download my DVD from the sermon, on the Sermon on the Mount and go through this section as I walk through these commandments. And I think what you'll see is, not so much. But Jesus takes it at face value takes his face value, I think, like this. Here's a young man who was a decent human being, relatively speaking. He was trying to be ethical. He was trying to be moral. He was trying to be religious. He was trying to do the right thing. And what he was saying to him is, Teacher, I have tried. I've kept those commandments. And yet, here I am, on my knees in the dirt before an itinerant preacher because it's not enough. My best efforts to live a good life are leaving me in the dust on my knees before an itinerant preacher because they don't work. And so, in Luke it says that Jesus simply says, you still lack one thing, and I'm going to hold that for a minute because I want to flip to Mark because it's really important what Jesus says. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. So, the next thing that he says is going to be driven out of his love for that young man. He does not critique whether or not he's kept those you know, ethics well enough. He says he loved him. 
And so now he's going to speak to him out of love. And this is what he says. You still lack one thing. You're close. Just one thing. This is it. This is the one thing, this is the one obstacle that's keeping you from the life you really want. From eternal life, which in that culture would have meant, not simply in the future, but it would have meant a life where you have found shalom, peace, significance, wholeness, a whole life where you live well before God, before others, your soul is right with God, and you are fueled by that. Just one thing, and you will get there. Sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. That's it. A list of one. (laughs) How easy could this be? There's only one thing you have to do. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then come follow me. That's it. Okay, put yourself in his position. Just for a moment. No one has ever called me a rich young ruler. Nonetheless, were Jesus to stand before me and say, Bruce, just one thing. There's only one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Everything. Give it to the poor. And follow me. That's all. Kind of hard, huh? Here's what I find very interesting. Before him, before this young man, there's a choice. And there's two ways to look at that choice. One of the ways to look at that choice is, oh my God, (laughs) everything? The other way to look at this is, the omnipotent, holy God of the universe looks at him with love and says, you can come and spend your days and moments with me. You can walk with me. I will take you through my, my life. You'll, you'll be beside me. I will teach you. I will teach you what it looks like to live a whole and full life. You can walk with me. It's a decent offer. Now one thing I find fascinating is if you could, for those of you who have been in the church at any length at all, if you could go up to where Jesus is about to say one thing you lack, what do you think he's going to say? Forget you know this passage. This is what most of us would put in there. Just one thing you lack. Believe in me and you'll be saved. Right? Just believe. Just accept the fact that you need a Savior. Accept the fact that you have fallen away from me, that your life has been disconnected from God by your own willful choices, and and turn and believe in me without doing a thing, and I will forgive you. And you will know me forever. That's what I put in there. Multiple choice test, I don't know this passage, that's what I put in there. Jesus apparently knows something about an answer to the question of what salvation means that we often miss. He sees it bigger. He sees it as certainly including that, but he sees it bigger. And it's found in the end of that phrase, and come, follow me. 
Christian means follower of Christ. That is the call of Christianity. It is interesting that for years we've referred to people who are Christians as believers, not as followers. Jesus seems to like to call us followers. Come, follow me. On the heels of that phrase, it says the young man walked away very sad. Because he was wealthy. And Jesus' disciples, as Jesus said then, it's really hard. It's really hard for a rich person to get into heaven. <laughs> it's really hard. It's hard as it is for a camel to go through the eye of, eye of a needle. And they said, really? Then who's going to get saved? He said, nothing's impossible with God. And whoever gives up much in this life, they will be given more in this life and in the life to come. I hate to quibble with the Bible, but when it says he walked away because sad because he was wealthy, that's sort of true. I think he walked away sad because the one thing he needed to lay down to give him what he most wanted, he couldn't do. The one obstacle that stood in the way from him actually having what his heart and soul most wanted, he couldn't pick up and remove. He couldn't do it. And so he walked away sad because he was stuck. See, when he threw himself on his knees before Jesus, he was a decent person with a lot of money. And yet something was desperately wrong. Desperately wrong enough that he was throwing himself on his knees. Saying, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than a moral life and a lot of cash. And Jesus tells him what it is. Yes, more is found in connecting yourself to me and following me. That's more. And yet he walks away with exactly what he came with. He gets his answer and can't do it. He picks up his obstacle and carries it away. So, what does that teach us? A couple things. I'll say one thing as a briefly and then the main point. In the space between a moral life and those things that we believe will give us fulfillment is the love of God. Jesus looks at a man who's moral and who's got stuff that defines his life and he says, I love you. And the space between moralism and the idols that we create in our own life is the love of God, and that is the space of fulfillment. You see, why does the rich man, why, 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 does, why does money so hold, have his hold in him? Because of what it represents. Money is just paper. It, it's just metal. Why does it have a hold on us? Because of what it can do for us. It's not that he wants to be rich, he wants to be secure. He wants to live without fear. He could easily say, Jesus, come on. 
I'll give give 40%, but come on, there are people who are begging in the streets because they have nothing. They, They have fear for their next day's meal. They wonder how they will survive. I don't have to do that. Come on, don't put me in that category. I don't want to live an insecure life where I don't know what's going to happen next. And so for him, money meant security. It meant I don't, don't have to live with fear. I don't have to wonder about the next day. I'm okay. I may not be happy, but I'm okay. Money also meant respect. It meant people would look at him a certain way. He was a rich young man. He was a rich young ruler. He was not the dregs of the earth. He could look at himself and others would look at him as there's something that that makes me worthwhile. I am somebody because I got some cash. And for us in this society, quite often, that's what money buys for us. Money buys for us respect, we think anyway. It buys for self-image. I can believe that I'm worthwhile because I can buy certain things, show off certain things, live a certain way. I'm okay. I have security and I have significance. I don't have fear. And quite honestly, those things had become his idols. They were his gods. Because that's where he found what he thought he needed for his life. And the space between idolatry and moralism is the love of God, freeing you from both of them. See, my question to you today is really simple. What's your obstacle to living a life that's full? What are your idols? Way, way back, 1600s, John Calvin said this, the heart is an idol factory. We make idols like that. We make things that rule our decisions. And those idols become obstacles to actually getting what we want, to following Jesus and finding the life he has for us. And they are not easy to replace. They stand relatively intransigent in our hearts. Our idols rule us. And Jesus says, I love you. You don't need idols. So my question to you today are, what are your idols and what are your obstacles? What are your obstacles to even getting started in a relationship with God? What are the things that make you go, I don't know. Jesus says, come, follow me. Walk with me. Discover who you were always meant to be. What are the obstacles? Are they intellectual? Are they fear? Afraid of what others will think of you if you do? Are they lifestyle? But how could I do that? I'll have to give up this. Are they addictions?
When I became a Christian, somebody walked up to me almost immediately afterwards and said, do you know what you're going to have to give up? I said yes, but of course I had no clue, really. Sure. And then he listed off several things. Got to give up that, got to give up that, got to give up that. I made a mental note, hmm, I may have to give up that. (laughs) There may be some things in your life that you go, wait, 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 wait. The whole idea of the following Jesus, okay, if I believe in him, he will forgive all of my sins. That's good. He will give me a clean heart again. That's, that's good too. And then I will have God in my life filling a hole, that God-shaped vacuum. I will have that. That's, that's really good. But will I have to give up? Fill in the blank. Will I have to give up this practice? This lifestyle? And for some of us, what we say to that answer is, I can't. I can't do it. I can't live without that. Understand, if you do that, what you do is you look in the face of a God who passionately loves you, who's offering you forgiveness and a full life, and you are saying, I can't. I'll take my lifestyle choice and that will rule who I become. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's your choice. For many of you who are followers of Jesus, the question we have to ask is right now, right now, today, not theoretically, right now, today, What is ruling our choices? What's ruling how we live? What are the obstacles that we are clearly leaving in place? Where is it that we get our self-esteem from? Where is it that we get our security from? What is it that is the real little God in our life? Sometimes the little God is fear. Because we're afraid of what might happen we can act in all sorts of ways that we know are not what Jesus calls us to live like. But fear rules. What's your little God? The song by Kay's Choice is interesting. You know, it gives a fairly simple obstacle, addiction. But with the continued repeated, I'll convince myself, it's just cool, it's just a habit, it's nothing. It's not, I'm not addicted. What's in your life that is ruling your life and you're saying to yourself, it's not, no, it's not. It doesn't control me. Sometimes it's a relationship where it's a beautiful relationship and yet that relationship becomes your God and you follow that, not Christ. And you do so to your own detriment. See, what I love about this passage is that middle section where he says Jesus looked at me and loved him. I, I so 
much had this picture, and it wasn't helped by the person who you know, said that to me right after I became a Christian. I so much had this picture. My fear was, what Christianity was, was, okay, Jesus will forgive me, but then what he wants from me is he just wants me to take out everything that's good and fun in my life. And if I, I'm going to try to hide some stuff if I can, so I can still have a good time, but he's going to sort of just rip things out. And I knew, I knew, I absolutely knew, if I got into the church, oh, Lord, that was going to be ugly they were going to take everything out. And then it was, it was confirmed for me into the first, first youth group I went to when I was in college when they were all sorts of stuff. Like my hair was too long. My jeans had too many holes. I was before my time. And, you know, not the hair long, but um, there were all sorts of things they were telling me I couldn't do. And so it was absolutely confirmed. So this is Christianity. This is following Jesus. So I've got to keep some stuff sort of secret. Because what Christianity is, he'll forgive me, but the deal is, I'll forgive you, but I don't want you doing any of this stuff anymore. Now, how many of you believe that right now? He'll forgive me, but can't do any of that stuff anymore. So, I'm going to tell people I don't do it, and I'm just going to hide it. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, yes, heart and soul given to Jesus Christ. It is. And there are things without question that will need to lay by the wayside. But it is not him detailing a series of actions he just doesn't want us to do anymore and he's going to get ticked at us if we do. It's saying, do you want a whole life? I'm giving you a whole life. I'm giving you the whole package. And some of this stuff will kill you. It's not that it's on a list of rules on the board and you've got to follow these rules. Some of this stuff will kill you. It, it will turn your heart from me. It'll keep you from actually getting what you want. And so lay it down. Lay it down. It's in the way. Following Jesus is a process of laying it down because it's in the way. And the only question to ask as we end this and as we go toward our time of worship is, what do you really want? He offers you the whole package. And he says that. I'll I'll give it all back. He offers you the whole package. Security. A true understanding of ourself. Peace. Wholeness. And health. It's found as we follow him. It's time to lay the idols to the side. Let's pray. Lord, indeed our heart is an idol factory. We make them up really fast. Would you today speak so searingly to us that we see first that you love us desperately? that the things you call us to, you call us to out of a love for our soul that is unbounded and without limit. That you call us to follow you because you know that that's where life is actually found for us. That you know full well when we wander off, it 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 does damage to our soul. And so you will say to us in love and passion, come, follow me. Lay down anything that gets in the way. Drop the obstacles. They'll do you no good. And find life. And so in the midst of that, would you speak to us, each one, and show us 
what it is right now. Show us one. Show us one obstacle that is barring the way from us having what we can have in you. Today, this week, make that obstacle clear and give us the heart and the will to lay that to the side. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go into worship, I do, I do want today to be a time where it's a bit of reflection. I, I want you to engage too, but I hope it'll be a time of a bit of reflection. Of reflecting on two things. God loves me so much, he'll speak into my life directly. And then ask God to speak into your life directly. And show you what hinders you today. Whether it's in coming to Christ for the first time, or in following him with a full heart and will after you've been a Christian for a long time. For us, this time of worship is a, is a process, a reciprocal process. And the, and the offering at the beginning of this helps us to understand that. Is that, that God speaks into our life. He leans into our life. He moves into our life. He initiates to us. And out of that we respond. And so for us, that's what the offering pictures. It also pictures this. That as we respond to God, He takes our efforts, as small as they sometimes seem. And He uses them to make a, a, a broad impact in our city around us.